0: is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI, News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham, and KGMI.com.
1: Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live, Dick Donahue. with you do this Saturday morning. We are live, and we are in studio. And let's take a look at our wrap-up for this week. We found it was another winning week for the stock market. Small cap stocks saw some rebound action after underperforming at the start of the year. The Russell 2000 jumped 2.4% this week. The S&P 500 closed above 5,000 for the first time, drawing support from gains in the mega cap and semiconductor spaces. And the mega cap growth ETF rose 2.6% on the week, and the PHLX semiconductor index rose 5.3%. Many stocks participated, though in relatively broad advance. The equal-weighted S&P 500 gained a half a percent this week. There still is not any concerted selling interest, despite reports that the market is overbought in the short term, which has acted as its own upside catalyst. Another catalyst for the upside price action came in the form of positive responses to some earnings news. Ford, Eli Lilly, Dupont. Arm Holdings and Walt Disney were among the standout earnings-related winners this week. Meanwhile, Amgen and PayPal were some of the more influential earning-related laggards. Notably, this week's broad advance occurred despite sharp declines in sickened treasuries. The two-year note yield rose 12 basis points to 4.5%. The 10-year note rose 16 basis points to four point one nine percent The increased selling in Treasury started last week in response to ongoing strength in economic data of late that the market has the market replacing its rate-cut expectations. This also followed comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell last weekend, who said on 60 Minutes that the Fed needs to see more evidence that inflation is moving sustainably down from its 2% target before lowering rates. This week's release of the January ISM Services PMI featured an acceleration in services sector activity in January, replete with a pickup in new orders, employment, and certain prices. The weekly jobless claims report showed a decrease in the number of claims. Also, annual CPI revisions were released this week, garnering added attention due to the potential implication on the Fed's rate cut path. The revisions were relatively friendly, since they did not alter the market's view on inflation much. Treasury did not respond favorably to this week's slate of strong auctions, including a $25 billion 30-year bond offering, a $54 billion 3-year note off sale, and a $42 billion 10-year note auction. The probability of a 25 basis point cut to 5.25% at the May FOMC meeting is now at 63.1%. That's down from 73.2% a week ago, according to the CME Fod- uh, Watch, FedWatch tool. So here are some daily summaries of the daily action that took place this week. On Monday, the market registered broad losses on uh, the major indices slid to session lows early in the day in response to a jump in Treasury yields after the 10 <coughs> after the 10 Eastern Time economic data was released. The market regained some upside traction, though thanks to relative strength in mega caps and semiconductor stocks. The semiconductor index jumped 1.2 percent, due in part to a strength in in on semiconductors following pleasing earnings and guidance. Strength in some of the aforementioned names boosted the heavily weighted S&P 500 information sector technology to a 6 tenths of 1 percent gain, while nine sectors registered a decline. The material sector was the worst performer, sinking 2.5% on weakness in shares of air products, followed by disappointing earnings. The overall negative price action in the stock market was largely in response to price action in Treasuries, which have logged steep declines over the past few sessions in response to ongoing strength in economic data of late that has the market repricing rate cut expectations. This also follows comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell over the weekend who said that they need to see more evidence that the inflation is moving sustainably down before they can down below its 2% target. Monday's morning release of the ISM Services PMI featured an acceleration in services sector activity in January, replete with a pickup in new orders, employment, and prices. Reviewing Monday's economic data, the S&P 500 Global U.S. Services PMI rose to 52.5 in the final January, rating from 51.4. The ISM services PMI increased to 53.4 in January, from 50.5 in December. The line line between the expansion and current traction is 50. So the January rating connotes a services sector activity expanding at a faster pace than in December. January marked the 13th consecutive month of growth in the services sector. Key takeaway from this report is the largest sector in the U.S. economy saw an acceleration in activity in January that was accompanied by a pickup in new orders, employment, and prices, which isn't the stuff to make cuts. Going to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly.
0: When you buy a Subaru from Dewey Griffin, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value and reliability that will last a long, long time. Simply put, you're buying trust. Stop into Dewey Griffin's Subaru and find out how you can get up to 1.9% APR financing on select new 2024 Subaru Outback models. Dewey has a huge inventory of new Subarus, from the eight-passenger Ascent to the Outback and Forester to the Impreza and the all-new Crosstrek. A Subaru from Dewey Griffin will get you and your family where you need to go safely. And when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our local community. Need service? Dewey's Express Service Centers open six days a week. Stop in for your next oil change or any other minor maintenance, and you'll get a free car wash with any service. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru-certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. Ready to build that new home? Do you want precision site preparations, seamless drainage systems, and sturdy house foundations? Honkoop Gravel is your answer. Experience is the difference of their full-service, civil contractors, and state-of-the-art heavy equipment. With over 45 years of service, they ensure quality done right the first time. Honkoop Gravel, the professional team you want for your next project. In Linden or at honkoopgravel.com.
2: The high school football game, monitoring the incoming
0: storm. They say what I think, but smarter. Catching your favorite talk show. These are just few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio. And AM radio
2: is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you and your family safe in
0: dangerous times. Visit WeAreBroadcasters.com to learn more and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI.
2: The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life And I had to start again with just my children and my wife
1: Welcome back to World Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Hopefully we got rid of that little frog in our throat. We can continue. We are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And I want to put out an announcement again on the Whatcom County Farm Forestry Association is having their annual tree, their seedling sale. And um, you can go online at wafarmforestry.com dot backslash Wacom. That's w a farm backslash Wacom. Their seedlings are a dollar and a quarter each, and they can be picked up at the Linden Fairground on Saturday, March sixteenth. That will be in the morning out there from ten till noon. I, yeah, from ten till noon. So, anyway, the Washington Wacom County Farm Forestry Association having their seedling. All different types of seedlings, all different types of trees. Going to continue on with our uh, weekly wrap-up here. with we'll go on to Tuesday's market. It had a solid showing. Advancing issues led to declining issues by the 5-2 to two margin at the New York Stock Exchange, by nearly a 2-1 to one per margin at the NASDAQ. Index level performance of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ so It was a little shaky, though, due to losses in some of the heavily weighted components. The S&P 500 was down two-tenths of one percent of its low. At its low, the NASDAQ composite was down as much as a half. Mega caps and semiconductor shares were relatively weak after their recent outperformance, falling under some profit-taking activity. We saw weak semiconductor shares also weighed into the infotech sector and left the PHLX semiconductor index with a 1.1 percent loss. We saw influential stocks that reported earnings, including DuPont and Eli Lilly. The former propelled the materials sector up to a 1.7% gain, which was the largest increase among the nine sectors that finished higher. We also saw in corporate news that shares of New York Community Bank closed sharply lower after a Bloomberg report that the bank was pressured by a regulator to cut its dividend. There was no economic data of note on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the market report was reportedly overbought, overvalued and due for a pullback. Granted, not everyone sees it that way, which is why the expected pullback still didn't happen. On the contrary, the major indices found higher ground supported by mega cap leadership and their own resilience selling interest. The market received added support from outsized moves and likes of Enphase Energy, Emerson Electric, Chipotle, Ford, CVS Health, and following their earnings reports. Dow component Amgen was a notable laggard among its earnings results. So reviewing Wednesday's data, we saw that the MBA Mortgage Applications Index was up 3.7% week over week, with refinance applications up 12% and purchase applications down one. The trade deficit widened to $62.2 billion in December from an upward of $61.9 billion. in November. Exports were $3.9 billion more than... Uh, uh, yeah, exports were $3.9 million more. Uh, the November exports and, and imports were $4.2 billion more than November imports. The key takeaway from this report is the exports and imports both increased in a welcome sign of global trade. We also saw consumer credit increase by $1.6 billion in December. That followed a down-revised $23.5 billion in November. Revolving credit increased by $1.1 billion in December to 1. $3.4 trillion uh, of non- non-revolving credit increased to half a billion to $3.696 trillion. The key takeaway in this report is the slowdown in credit expansion, both for revolving and non-revolving debt, fits with banks tightening their lending uh, standards and demand for credit lessening in the face of higher interest rates. Thursday was a solid day for the market. The Russell 2000 outperformed other indices throughout the session, gaining 1.4% on the day. The absence of selling pressure amid growing expectations of a pullback among some participants acted as its own upside catalyst. Still, upside moves were relatively modest for most of the market. The S&P 500 equal-weight closed two-tenths of one percent higher. Outside moves were mostly limited to individual stocks that reported earnings since Wednesday's close, which garnered mixed responses. Arm holdings jumped nearly 50% after reporting earnings. Dow component Walt Disney also logged a large gain on pleasing quarterly results. Meanwhile, shares of PayPal faced selling pressure after disappointing below consensus guidance. Treasury settled with losses despite a strong $25 billion 30-year uh, bond offering which followed the strong responses of this week's $54 billion three-year note and a 42000000000 billion 10-year note auction. The price action was particularly, or partially a reaction to Thursday morning's release of the weekly jobless claims report, which showed a decrease in the number of claims fitting with the market's emerging view that the Fed may stay restricted for longer. So reviewing Thursday's data, we saw initial uh, weekly uh, initial claims at 218000 Prior was revised to 227 from 224, continuing claims at 1.871 bit million. The key takeaway from this report is the continually low level of initial claims, which is a reflection on the economy not showing the stress of a big drop off in demand. We also saw December wholesale inventories were up 4 so tenths 1%. On Friday, the S&P 500 closed above 5,000 for the first time in a fairly broad advance. There was still has not been a concerted selling interest, uh, despite reports that the market has overbought at the short term, which has acted as its own upside catalyst. The market has drew support from gains in semiconductor and mega cap stocks. The S&P 500 consumer staple sector was laggard, dropping nine-tenths of one percent. This was due in part to the shares of Pepsi falling 3.6 percent after reported earnings. But there was no economic data of note on Friday. The annual CPI revisions were released at 8.30 Eastern time, garnering added attention due to potential implications for the Fed's rate cut path. The revisions were relatively friendly since they did not alter the market's view on inflation much. Reactions both uh, from the bond and equity markets were muted. So here to date up through yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 2.6%. For the week, however, it was basically unchanged. The NASDAQ was up 6.5% now for the year, and it was up 2.3% this week. Your S&P 500 was up 5.4% for the year and up 1.4% for the week. And the Russell 2000 index is still down 8 tenths of 1%, but it was up 2.4% for this week. Well, we kind of like to take a focus every week and look at different topics, and you know, today I want to take a a look at what's happening with short-term interest rates and where they could be heading this year. We've seen that inflation has continued to trend down with unemployment uh, has has remained low. The economy has continued to grow, meaning rate hikes are a thing of the past. Chairman Powell in his January U.S. Federal Reserve Fed press conference uh, mentioned that the incoming data aligns with the Fed's criteria to initiate rate cuts. However, the Fed remains cautious, desiring an extended period of lower inflation to bolster confidence in achieving their 2% target. With Chair Powell all but ruling out a March rate cut, the attention now shifts to when the Fed will commence rate cuts, how many cuts will unfold throughout the year? There exists a significant gap between the market's expectation and the Fed's projection for the number of cuts, So let's get a little bit more context to what we think we're seeing out there at this point in time regarding rate cuts and when they're going to happen. The FOMC participants' economic projections, basically the Federal Open Market Committee uh, convenes at eight scheduled annually meetings, annually during four of these meetings in March, June, September, and December. They release their summary of economic projections. In this report... Uh, Participants submit their projections for real GDP growth, unemployment, and inflation. The latest available SEP from the December 23 meeting indicates a median forecast for real GDP growth at 1.4%. That's from the fourth quarter of last year to the fourth quarter of 24. Both core personal consumption expenditures, which is PC inflation, and excluding food and energy and overall PC inflation, are projected to be at 2.4% over this same period of time. The unemployment is expected to average 4.1% in the fourth quarter of this year. These forecasts collectively suggest sustained growth and the trend towards lower inflation. So then they have what they call their dot plot. And they uh, basically, the FOMC participants assess... uh, it's basically of appropriate monetary policy. And it is, as with the SEP, which again is their projections, the FOMC participants evaluate their expectations for the appropriate monetary policy in the upcoming year, outlining where they anticipate that Fed funds rates will conclude each year based on the most recent data available as of December meeting. The median forecasts three cuts by the end of this 24. This would bring the Fed funds rate down to the f- range of four and a half to four and three quarter from its current five and a quarter to five and a half. Projections for year end vary, ranging from two participants who are seeing no change in rates in this year, and one participate and uh, participant anticipating as many as six rate cuts. <clears throat> so, let's take a look then at the uh, the implied pr- probabilities for federal funds. In our view, the FOMC's median projection of three rate cuts for 24 align with their overall economic outlook, indicating a trajectory towards a soft landing without a recession. However, the market has also embraced this soft landing scenario but anticipates five rate cuts, so the market's still expecting more than those three cuts. Notably, just before Chair Powell's press conference last week, the market anticipated six cuts with its first starting in March. Current expectations point to the first cut in May. If the economy remains healthy and keeps growing, it's very hard to imagine uh, the uh, cu- uh, cu- the uh, cutting short-term interest rates by one and a quarter percent through the, as the market expects. We do believe the Fed will cut rates uh, six times or so in the next year, but not necessarily this year. And due to a mild recession, we may still see that. If inflation does continues to decline. So, we're kind of seeing a mixed mixed bag as far as what we're seeing in projections, as far as what the Fed's going to do and when they're going to do it and all those other good things and time will tell. Never know for sure. You know, they're the that's why you have that independent body. Interesting thing, I want to Tim to take a hit on this here in a little bit, but uh going to talk about uh, what what happens to investing in the politics and the Fed of course this year. Is trying to avoid politics because it is a presidential election, so it'll be interesting to see where all this comes out. Dick Dottie here with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We're going to go ahead and take our break, and we'll be back shortly. DeWard & Bodie is
0: kicking off the President's Day sale now at all three stores in Bellingham and Burlington. Get early access to presidential savings up to 50% off on Whatcom and Skagit County's best in-stock selection of appliances, mattresses, and barbecues. Laundry sets, refrigerators, wall ovens, cooktops, ranges, and so much more are in stock, on sale, and ready to deliver. This weekend, save your presidents and pay no money down and no interest for two full years on qualifying appliances and up to four years on qualifying mattresses. Mattresses. Shop in confidence with DeWard & Bodie's 30-day local price match guarantee on in-stock items, so you know you're getting the best price in town. DeWard & Bode services the products they sell with in-house factory-certified technicians and worry-free warranty options to protect your purchase. Plus, they professionally deliver and install. Visit the Bellingham Appliance & Mattress Showroom on Meridian next to Home Depot, the Bellingham Appliance Outlet Center on Hannigan Road, or the Appliance Showroom in Burlington to take advantage of the DeWard & Bode President's Day sale. What
2: he's saying is, we have to do the right things every day to earn happy customers. Customer service is something you have to work on daily. This is not something you gather up every quarter, every six months. It requires a lot of intention, energy. Well, the goal is to do that, treat everybody like a millionaire. I hold my employees accountable to a different level, and we still fall short. I found short. It's, it's hard. It's hard to maintain a, a really solid, good customer service, but um, that's something that we have taken on ourselves and we're not gonna change that because as something comes out of our hearts, we we enjoy taking care of people and enjoy doing the right things. In my heart, I feel that like you have to do the right things regardless if they sound good, don't sound good, they look good, don't look good. You still have to do the right things so you can go to sleep at night and feel like you've done well.
0: Xavier's Bellingham Nissan. We take care of our customers.
2: How do we earn our reputation for repairs you can trust? Great mechanics? Yeah. Quality parts? Absolutely. But the real secret is knowing the most important part of every vehicle is the
0: driver. And here's your keys. She's all ready. Right on
2: time. Thanks. With over 30 years of service, you can trust Bellingham Automotive to help you with any regular maintenance needs or unexpected repairs. Schedule your appointment at 360-676-5200 or visit bellinghamautomotive.com.
1: The
0: latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems, 0% interest financing, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7, KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and mybellinghamnow.com. CBS News Brief. Israel is telling civilians to leave the Gaza city of Rafah before it invades, but this man says through an interpreter. Here is Netanyahu and his government, the government of war threatening to invade Rafa, where shall we go? If they try to pressure us to migrate to Egypt, we will not go to Egypt or any other place. The White House is pushing back against that special counsel report over President Biden's handling of classified documents that described his memory as poor. The
2: president's gonna appoint a task force to review how transitions look at classified material to ensure that there are better processes in place.
0: There's some nasty weather out there. Strong
2: thunderstorms rumbling from the Ohio Valley all the way down to the south. And we're especially keeping an eye on these storms here in Texas, Louisiana. We are calling for damaging winds, possibly large hail. Can't rule out tornadoes.
0: That's Kelly Cass at the Weather Channel, CBS News Brief. I'm Allison Keys.
2: And I'm proud to be an American.
1: Welcome back to World Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Thank you for being with us. <clears throat> well, you know, we keep talking about the Fed action, the market going up to 5,000. You know, we had to get that question about when is the next correction? You know, the S&P 500 index has been hitting its new highs. Many investors keep wondering how long the stock market can stay close to its highs and make new highs. Historically, The S&P 500 has broken new highs on only 8% of all trading days since 1990. However, market drawdowns, declines from prior peaks are a normal part of the investing and and present buying opportunities for long-term investors. So market downturns or declines from peaks are common. Since 1990, the average drawdown in the S&P 500 has been 14% in a calendar year. And drawdowns of at least 10% have occurred in 19 of the last 34 years. So what we're saying is a drawdown is a drop during the year. Uh, the average drawdown has been 14%, uh, and we've had 19 of those in the last 34 years. Corrections, however historically did not preclude strong positive returns. Despite significant drawdowns, S&P 500 returns have built positive returns in 27 of the last 34 years. Moreover, it's important to note that new highs historically have happened in clusters, often lasting several years. For example, the S&P 500 is traded within 2% of its high approximately 60% of the time. From 2020 to twenty one. 64% 64% of the time between 2014 and 15 and 61% of the time in 96 and 97. So in our view corrections are nothing to fear for the long-term investor. Measured in trading days over the past half century, the S&P 500 has been in correction ter- territory having fallen 10% or more from its previous high for nearly half or 44% of the time. However, the index is still returned over 11% annually over that time. Now, again, I said this is <clears throat> over the last half century using the S&P 500. It's having fallen 10% or more from this pretty high 44% of the time. However, the index is still returned over 11% annually over that time, turning a $10,000 hypothetical investment into over $2 million. So 50 years ago, If you'd had $10,000 in the S&P 500 or the equivalent of it then, left it alone, today it would be worth $2 million. While market drawdowns can be difficult to endure, our work supports the adage that it's time in the market, not trying to time the market. And, of course, the other question we get is, what impact is politics going to have, and does investing in politics work? So, short answer to this one is no our research shows that investing in domestically oriented companies based on America first policies ie corporate tax cuts did not work after the 2016 election additionally investing in renewable energy companies based on environmentally friendly policies did not work after the 2020 election so further backing up this point our analysis showcases why we believe investors should get out and vote at the polling booths, but avoid voting with their portfolios. So I saw a couple of illustrations here. And if you look at the relative return for the S&P 500 after the 2016 election, one year after the election, the most innovative companies were up about 10%. And two years after that election, they were up 18%. But if you look at those, if you want, based on high sales that you would have thought that would have been driven by the cap tax cuts and all the other stuff, they were actually down about 7%. And two years after the election, they were up about 3%. Now, if you go back and you look at the S&P 500 after the 2020 election, one year after the election, the most innovative companies were up about 7%. Those so-called Energy or green energy or uh, politically um, popular companies were up about 8%. However, if you go over there and you look at solar and you look at one year after the election, it was up about 1%, but now it's down about 15%. Now I can kind of attest to that experience based on my experience because I thought after the 2020 election, that we would see a big jump in those environmentally friendly companies. So I actually put some money into those. We took it out in May of 22, have not returned, and fortunately it looks like we made the right decision not to return. So sometimes I guess what it amounts to is we get caught up in our politics and not in reality, something you need to keep in mind when it comes to investing. You know, getting audited by the IRS There's a lot of things that are raising red flags for auditors this year. The sharper IRS scrutiny on high net worth taxpayers makes watching for audit triggers critical this filing season. From closely held businesses to charitable contributions and other holdings and financial moves for the wealthy, what's likely to raise a red flag? Well, CPA firms are seeing a large increase in audit notices asking for a lot of details, record, and explanations. The chances are that an audit is much higher than they were a few years ago. The current scope of the audit risk tends to be broad and aim carefully at undercovering high-dollar noncompliance. Many are hearing a buzz around increased audit risk for the high net worth individuals, closely held businesses, which is which is good, and awareness of risk is an important factor. The Treasury Department has directed the IRS which has received an infusion of billions of dollars earmarked for enforcement to avoid increased scrutiny in small businesses or households below $400,000 income and to focus this on large corporations, high income and high net worth individuals and complex pass-through entities. The IRS has found that investing in these types of audits has produced the highest return. It will be interesting to see if this holds true. Just because there's an increase in audits doesn't necessarily mean that they'll get the same increase in revenue at the IRS. The IRS has indicated that it'll increase attention on high net worth individuals, especially those with income exceeding a $1 million and more than $250,000 in recognized tax debt. One issue the IRS is looking for is discrepancies on balance sheets involving partnerships with more than $10 million in assets. The agency is also looking harder at reports on foreign assets exceeding 10000 and Form 1099 miscellaneous and 1099 NEC payments from construction contractors to, to, to apparent shell company subcontractors. Large deductions for tax credits that look outsized compared to a taxpayer's income and unexpected income are also high on their list. Digital assets are also raising red flags with the agency. Auditors are taking, <clears throat> will take on analyzing taxpayers' cryptocurrency transactions to ensure proper reporting related to the acquisition, swaps, staking, and sales of stablecoins or cash. Wealthy individuals with closely held businesses are also most vulnerable to audits. Most items are now independently verified digitally by the IRS They receive information from W-2s, 1099 payments information, K-1s from partnership interests, but the area that they do not have ability to match is income deduction from a sole proprietorship reported on Schedule C. The IRS needs to determine that income has not been underreported and expenses are being overstated. Basis and, and material participation in businesses is going to continue also to be a focus. The IRS plans to use artificial intelligence to examine the balance sheets of large partnerships. Charitable contributions are another concern, particularly non-cash charitable contributions. And there's been these, if there are omitted items in this form, they'll disallow the entire charitable deduction. This could be as simple as not stating the original cost of a work of art or an antique donated, even though its current fair value is is a deductible amount. This form also requires a signature of the donor organization. We're also finding charitable contributions of improperly uh, uh, of property over over certain amounts require a their evaluation by a qualified appraiser. Failure to have a appraised either appraisal either attached or available for audit will result in disallowance. It's also something you need can decide to appraise when you're audited. The IRS, or it's not, it isn't something that you can decide to appraise when you get audited. The IRS has indicated that they're planning more cross-division cooperation, meaning that an individual taxpayer who gets audited may reasonably expect to have their business entities, their trusts, their estate and gift, and even foundation and nonprofit entity returns opened up for scrutiny as well. So they're hunting for money out there. They're going to spend it like crazy, and they're going to look for it if they can find it. Going to go through beneficiary checklist here. Important, I think, to talk about this type of thing, especially in those uh, people have IRAs and retirement plans and stuff. Number one, of course, is where are the copies of your beneficiary forms kept. Can the copies be found? Do they match what is on file with your trustees, your custodians, your plan advisors, providers? If not, you need to request copies from Do beneficiaries and the executor of your estate know where they can find copies of your beneficiary forms? Number two are the beneficiary forms current, and this is a big consideration. Do you consider any recent changes in the IRS rules, i.e. the correct life expectancy table to be used for required distribution to calculations? Do you consider state or federal estate and tax law changes, i.e. the SECURE Act? Did you consider plan limitations? Do you consider the events that could change in your beneficiary execu- elections, such as adoption, beneficiaries to eliminate, Birth, child or grandchild, deaths, divorces, marriages, special needs beneficiaries or other life events. Really important that you go back and take a look at those forms and consider those things. Is there a contingent beneficiary named for each beneficiary form? Will it be the effect if one of, if the beneficiary receives an asset but they want to disclaim? Is there somebody to disclaim to? In other words, that contingent beneficiary is a signed beneficiary form on file with a trustee or custodian of your plan? Is there a knowledge copy of each most recently signed copy also available? Does the advisor that you're working with have a copy of your most recently signed form? Can the trustee and custodian plan provider locate and produce a copy of your forms? When the estate plan was drafted, did you take into account the retirement assets? Retirement assets will pass according to the beneficiary form, not the will. The beneficiary form should also name a person, not an entity. A Beneficiary and is useless, or as beneficiary unless the retirement assets are being left in whole or in part to a charity or a trust. And then, who are the primary beneficiaries? Take sit on, take a look at it. What percentage do they inherit? Should it does it equal one hundred percent? Who are the contingent beneficiaries? Who are they? Again, do they add up to one hundred percent? Are there multiple primary and contingent beneficiaries? Are there multiple beneficiaries made? Make sure that each beneficiary share is clearly stated. And if there are multiple beneficiaries, is there a need to create separate accounts for them now? So these are things we run into on a consistent basis, working with our retirement plan business and our IRAs, making sure people are up to date and have those forms up to date. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly.
2: Pack your bags. It's time for fun in the sun with Baron Spring Break Getaway Giveaway. Any Baron purchase now through February 29th enters you for a chance to win. Whether it's a new comfort system, maintenance, or a tankless water heater, you could win a trip for four. Cabo, Hawaii, or cruising the Pacific. Picture yourself soaking up the rays with Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway. And that's not all. Save up to $7,000 on an energy-efficient Daikin Fit Enhanced Heat Pump, providing year-round comfort that both heats and cools. Plus, it qualifies for the 25C tax credit or choose same as cash financing. Install today and pay nothing until next year. Every Barron purchase could be your ticket to a dream destination in Barron's Spring Break Getaway Giveaway all February. And Barron's Silver Shield members get 10 extra entries. Not a member? Sign up today. Don't wait for that ship to sail. Call now.
0: Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. Visit BaronHeating.com for details. At Number One Automotive Body Repair, we know you're a great driver. The creme de la creme, the cream of the crop. Dare we say, F1's 2024 hotshot, but everyone else on the road, they're not you. And when they ruin your day, we're here to help. Bellingham's Number One Automotive Body Repair is the premier location for all your collision repair needs. Learn more at numberoneabr.com, part of the Number One Commission Group. Hello, folks. This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham, and I would like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probates, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. and we can show you how to set your family up for success.
2: there ain't no doubt, I love this land.
1: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. If you got questions for me, you can always give me a call, 360-733-1200. Well, we saw here that there's a new bill that's been presented that's going to raise the Social Security payroll cap, tax cap, but it's also going to eliminate taxes on benefits. I found this rather interesting. Because you may recall, maybe you don't recall, but I guess I follow those things closely over the years I've been in the business. But 1986, the Reagan tax reform bill, Reagan tax cuts, among other things, put a tax on Social Security for the first time. And depending on your adjusted gross income, you're paying taxes on between 50% and 85% of your Social Security, at least over certain limits. But the bill that was introduced in the House of Representatives, it aims to eliminate those federal taxes on Social Security benefits for seniors beginning next year. The bill's sponsors say that would be paid for by raising the cap on Social Security payroll tax. That would mean that starting next year, Americans earning 250000 or more would pay a Social Security tax on all of their earnings. The tax is currently capped this year at $168,800 for 2024. So what they're saying is that that 6.2% Social Security tax that you pay, your employer pays, each of you would continue to pay that over that 168000 on all of your earnings. The bill would repeal the taxation of Social Security benefits and would let the Old Age Survivors and Disability Insurance Program continue making all payments through 2054. Now, that's some 20 years longer than the current projection of 2034, when benefits are due to be reduced by 20%, according to a new analysis from Social Security's chief actuary, Stephen Gross. The legislation would also reduce the federal debt by $8.9 trillion over the next 75 years, according to Goss said gross, it was Goss, Stephen Goss. Uh, The bill called the You Earned It, You Keep It bill has been introduced two years in a row by Democrat Angie Craig of Minnesota. And according to Goss, if Congress doesn't act, Only 80% of scheduled benefits will be payable on a timely basis to 10 years from now, in 2034, after the combined trust fund reserves are depleted, the percentage of payable benefits then declines to 74% by 2097. For 2024, that $168,800 is the limit of which annual earnings are subject to Social Security taxes. That reflected an increase of $8,400 from last year. We'll see where this goes, but I think it's kind of interesting that uh, they would raise that cap. you got to keep in mind that you're paying income tax on that Social Security tax when you put that in. So you're paying 6.2% of your money into the Social Security. It uh, comes out of your paycheck. You are also already have paid income tax on that. And now you when you get your Social Security benefit, again, over certain income limits, uh, depends on married, single, and what have you, um, you can have anywhere between 50 and and 85% of your Social Security be subject to tax. Well, they're going to talk about taking that tax away. Of course, I've always felt it was kind of crazy that they put it in there because, like I said, you paid tax on that money when it went in. And um not so sure that I agree with that one. It like, sounds like double taxation to me at least. I saw a note come out here this last week that I thought was interesting. Um, As I've noted, I went back to LPL Financial. I was with LPL for 35 years and was still kind of with them in 2015 when we made a change. A couple years later, the firm I went with left LPL, but I'm back with them. And they came out with their financial results for the fourth quarter of last year and basically, they capped a strong year. They had additional assets under management. They had a higher advisor headcount as markets bounced back. And the firm continued to add advisors, basically, in what they called a dog-eat-dog recruiting environment. So the company's advisor account at the end of last year was 22660 That was an additional 256 advisors in the last quarter of the year. And that was net after retirements and advisors that were leaving. And that number last year, they added 1,385 advisors, or 7%. Of course, I was one of those. The company also recruited assets between $17 billion for the fourth quarter of last year and over $80 billion for the year. So significant growth in assets, uh, significant growth in the number of advisors. And they said that uh, uh, they've continued to grow. Their earnings have continued to go up uh LPL is traded on the uh it is part of the S&P 500 so it's uh, become a, one of the 500 largest companies in the United States and uh guess a little background or a little update here uh I made the decision to move back to LPL we made the official move in the middle of July of last year uh, it's been kind of a challenging time for us in a lot of ways, getting all of our client accounts, getting together with our clients, getting those account paperwork done, uh, moving money over to new accounts, um, uh monitoring the investment mix and what have you. And that's probably the focus of where we are right now. Um, I've spent considerable time. In fact, I'm flying down to Los Angeles tomorrow afternoon. Actually, it's Super Bowl time. I'll be on the airplane. Uh, but, uh, I've got a meeting Monday and Tuesday with LPL, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, basically looking at some of their investment platforms and money managers that are there and this and that and the next thing. But I spent a lot of time in the last two or three months focusing on that aspect of what we are doing with our clients' accounts, how money was invested and what have you. With that in mind, I've gone through the process of going out and building out a series of model portfolios and um, heavy focus on, in our case, I'm uh, one that believes that uh, markets are always going to go up and down, but with the average age of our client being in the 70 or thereabout range, uh, most of our clients can't afford 30% drops. So we try to carry a balanced portfolio, but I also focus on... Uh, managers that uh, do try to manage the downside risk in their portfolios. In other words, they are willing to get more defensive with part of the money in the times of volatility. And um, those components or those pieces of our portfolio comprise a very, very large piece of our, you know, I'd say in the 40 to 50% uh, of our portfolio. So, a uh, heavy focus on managers that are in that area. But very diversified beyond that, because uh, one of our models, we've got a total of about twenty different investment exposures in there, uh, different mutual funds, different exchange traded funds, different objectives, broad cross sections. Uh, you know, a little bit of gold in some cases, some agriculture in there in some cases. Uh, uh, very very diversified. Uh, focus on the tech area, looking at looking at ETFs that have. A large focus on buying companies that are involved in artificial intelligence. Um, Using some managers that I've used for a long time. I say a long time. People that I've known that have been in business uh, uh, for many, many years as part of it. So one of our portfolios, like I said, has got a total of about 20 different moving pieces in it. Um, The... uh, you know, diversification, in my opinion, is really huge. I mean, 3 to 5% pieces exposure to each of these managers, so really spread out. So now we're in the process of going through, and, and we've gone through, and we've looked at every client's portfolio that we have, and now we're in the process of reallocating and reinvesting that money. So when we brought the money over and we made that change last July – Uh, That money we kept in kind, we didn't sell it out of the market. We held on to it at the time. Now we're going in, and so our clients that are listening are going to be seeing a lot of notices, a lot of confirmations, the fact that we're trading in the account, that we're making changes in their mix. And uh, they're going to be seeing those confirmations coming through, and they'll also see that we're buying and we've you know communicated with a lot of our clients we've actually had to change platforms that's one of the things with lpl that i found very attractive is that we have a number of different investment management platforms that we can actually put our clients money under under depending on the size of the accounts and the amount of trading the amount of in- investing we're doing and so we've been also in the process of making those changes for our client portfolios as well so big changes uh... Been a. Process. It's been a little challenging at times on myself and on my staff, Uh, something that I look back at today and I say, I'm glad I did it. But, um, you know, I have to admit there have been a few nights where I wake up and I'm laying in bed thinking about it and my head is sitting there. I get up the next morning kind of half exhausted from thinking about this stuff half the night. Uh, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's what I've been doing for my entire life very much. And, uh, I enjoy doing it I enjoy the challenges. And, uh, so just an FYI for our clients are going to be seeing those notices come through. And this has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI. As always, I do thank you for being with us. If you got questions for me, give me a call 360-733-1200. And don't forget our show tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Thanks and have a great week.
2: On this show, are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.